What a joy to welcome each other warmly, to say good morning. Such an important part of what we do, the fellowship of God's people. Extended hands, smiling faces, warm welcomes. It is so, so good to have you here. My name is Pastor Mike Irwin. I'm the lead pastor here at Northwest Hills. And a joy for me to be with you, to welcome you warmly to church. And I hope uh, your Christmas was awesome and your New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and kind of the recovery. Uh, Who here has all of their Christmas stuff down and put away? Let me see your hand. It's all down and put away. All right. The vast majority of you. Who just, who just feels bad that, that you need to get that done yet? And, and maybe even this afternoon you're going to make progress. All right. A lot of you. Very good. Uh, who has it somewhere in between like I do? Yes. My wife said, why didn't we get that put fully away yesterday in the rain break, right? So maybe we'll uh, look at some of that today. But this is that kind of stuff right now that uh, we're working on and, and getting sort of Christmas packed back away and a new year started and thinking and praying about the year and all that God has for us. And that's a great thing. And what a wonderful Christmas season we had together. And we're believing God, we're trusting God for uh, a great 2019 here at Northwest Hills. And we're glad you're here to uh, kick it off with us in this full, full Sunday of the new year. The first thing I want to do before we get into God's Word, in fact, if you want to find your place, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting a brand new book study today on the book of Nehemiah. We'll be there for six weeks. We could easily spend six months but six weeks in Nehemiah uh, in a new series called Renew, the story of a new beginning. Before we get there, I'm going to have uh, Miss Laura help me with a slide on MerryChristmasCorvallis.com. As many of you know, we put up some billboards all over the town, uh, 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 yard signs, a huge Facebook ad campaign. And on the billboards, it just was a, 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 looked something similar to that. And all that it said on the billboard was MerryChristmasCorvallis.com. And when people went there, they could nominate uh, friends or relatives, associates, neighbors, uh, students who they knew who had significant tangible needs in our community. And it gave us an opportunity as a church to, to do some general vetting of those needs and then to see how we could be involved in helping those folks who were really hurting have a very Merry Christmas. And it was a wonderful outreach initiative. And uh, we had about 1,098 unique visitors to MerryChristmasCorvallis.com. It was a whole, whole lot more than that. But we try to be really accurate with our numbers. And, and so we sort of try to pull out, you know, the, the Northwest Hills visitors and, and that kind of stuff to, to get just a, a picture of our community impact. And about 1,098 unique visitors to Merry Christmas Corvallis. Our Northwest Hills team, notice that word, that's elders and staff and some of you who helped to call and do that gentle vetting to really push in and find out what the need is, what's going on in that person's life that we might be able to be of help. And uh, we had uh, the Northwest team talk to over 100 people that we had never met before in our community about needs that were going on in their lives. And what a wonderful, wonderful thing it was. I, I was talking to Pastor Jeremy this week. I think the, in, in some ways the biggest impact of this was on our staff who came... Uh, really face-to-face with the incredible needs that are present in our community. Uh, right with, even within walking distance of our church, people who are really hurting, people who are really having difficult times and seasons in, in their life, and a chance for us to interface and love them. And here's our heart, to do good deeds that builds goodwill, that builds bridges and opportunities for ultimately, and here's our ultimate heart, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he can do in their life as he has done in ours. Good deeds, goodwill, 
that gives opportunities for good news. And so we talked to over 100 people in our community. 64 families, individuals were, were, uh, were vetted and, and ended up receiving assistance totaling $5,750. Here's what I think is the coolest thing. Not one penny of that came from our budget, but all of that came from you who said, we are so excited about this. This is such a unique and interesting initiative. We want to be a part of it. And 100% of the needs that we found were 100% met. All of it coming in, all of it went out to meet needs and build relationships and build bridges and having opportunities to share the good news of Jesus in our community. Isn't that awesome, church? We give God glory for it. Put your hands together and praise him for all that he has done. And listen... Our thanks to you for being such a great team, the Northwest Hills team, and seeing that initiative go forth so powerfully and so wonderfully and honestly, uh, so smoothly. Early on as the uh, nominations were coming in, I thought, oh my goodness, we're going to get so overwhelmed here. Uh, and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but, but our team worked so hard and so tirelessly to see that be such a great success. A couple of examples, I brought just two, I could bring so many more. Uh, clearly, this is one that Pastor Josh uh, called and, and interfaced with and talked with. We got this card. It's got a, a really great picture drawn inside of it. That's really cool. I really like that picture. It says, Dear Pastor Josh in Northwest Hills, thank you so much for the wonderful gift card to Fred Meyer. It was a reminder that God loves to give good gifts to his children. Listen to this. Even when we don't ask and we deeply feel like we don't deserve it. I feel so blessed and so thankful for people like you in our community. Thank you for loving us. Merry Christmas, that's a single mom and her child. Isn't that wonderful? Just such a blessing, just such a blessing, just to be able to love them. A lot of people said to us, we were, we, we were, just, we were just hopeless. And this call has given us hope that somebody would love us unconditionally. And we made it very clear, no strings attached. You don't have to come to a service. You don't have to jump through a hoop. We just want to love you in Jesus' name. You know why? Because he has been so good to us as a church. Amen, church? He's been so good to us. And we don't want to be a, 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 a sort of a, a reservoir of his blessing. We want to be a channel of his blessing. And we want that to wisely flow through us to folks who have the need of him ultimately and other needs as well. Remember, Jesus first fed the 5,000, then he talked with them. He then again fed the 4,000, then he talked with them. He healed that woman with an issue of blood. He met a need, then he shared with them. And those doors began to open to the life-changing message of him. So that is Merry Christmas Corvallis. Really great Christmas initiative. We're going to, within the will and plan and blessing of God, do it for two more Christmases. We think it'll take time to really get full traction, but we're super excited with the results of year one. Another quick bottom line I wanted to share with you um, was our Christmas Eve and Christmas weekend services. Uh, This past Christmas Eve, we had three services. They started on Sunday night. They went then on Monday uh, at 4 and 5.30. And uh, we had 100, uh, excuse me, 856 people attend one of our three Christmas Eve services, which is the largest Christmas Eve attendance in the history of our church. And on that weekend total, we had over 1,400 people here for our Christmas services, which was really, really cool. And when I got home on Christmas Eve about 9 o'clock, I'm going to tell you what, I was exhausted. But it was a glorious exhaustion, right? It was a glorious exhaustion. And I ate a good meal. I went to bed and got up on Christmas morning and said, thank you, God, for what a wonderful time we had uh, welcoming you 
and sharing you with our wonderful community. So listen, thank you for inviting your family and friends. You know, as a staff, we're so aware that while we have the privilege of planning these services and we're working with you to try to get the right times, if you're not here and you don't invite people, then, then people aren't here. And so thank you for giving and investing and inviting. And it's just so exciting to see what God uh, is doing here at Northwest Hills and, uh, and, and what he's going to do uh, in this new year together. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, Nehemiah chapter 1. I don't want to, uh, to be too long in, not, in, in getting into the scriptures. We were just a tad long at our first service and we need to hustle on. Someone said, blessed is the preacher whose train of thought has a caboose. And, uh, and blessed is the preacher who can get airborne without too much runway. We're going to try to do that today and, uh, and really save uh, not only time for celebrating these victories. We need to do that and to rejoice in the good things that God has done. I've taught our staff, anything good, God has done it. Anything bad, we messed it up. And he gets the praise and the glory for everything that's good that he does. But, uh, but we want to hustle and, and, and give good time for all God wants to teach us in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the story of a new beginning. It's the story of renewal. Uh, Nehemiah is walking into a brand new season of his life just as we are walking into a brand new year together. And what Nehemiah learned as he really uh, navigated this new season, what he learned about himself, what he learned about his God, what he learned about the blessings and the trials that were ahead are absolutely breathtaking and powerful lessons that if we will open our heart to them, can be incredibly encouraging and instructional for right where we're living, right here in 2019. Nehemiah chapter 1, I love the way it opens. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakali, in late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. And we say, how in the world did Nehemiah... Uh, an Israelite, Nehemiah, a Hebrew, end up in the fortress of Susa in the land of the Medes and the Persians. If I can go to the 50,000 foot level with you real quickly, we'll come down to the 30,000 foot, right down to the 10 and to the 1 very quickly. Let's remind ourselves how we got here. If you are new to church, and I've met a lot of new people this morning, and I'm so glad you're here, and you're trying to figure out how to understand the Bible, God's Word, this book of truth for your life, there are really seven words that if you will uh, really focus on these seven words, it will give you a, a phenomenal overview of the Bible. And maybe they're good for all of us to write down and sort of think about this afternoon. And the seven words are this. It's the word God. The uh, Bible is all about teaching us about God and, and who God is and, and what his intentions toward us are and how we can know him. Um, and, 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 and the details about him, it, it, the word God. Secondly is the word creation, how, how this all came to be, uh, this thing called life and this world, this globe that we walk on. The word fall, very important word, God, creation, fall, cross, the cross. What does that mean, the cross? We're going to talk about that in the new year. Identity, putting our identity in who we are as people who've come to the cross and had our lives impacted from the inside out. The word choices, and then the word eternity. How is all this going to wrap up? 
And what does the end look like and mean? I'll never forget, I was sitting in the most comfortable couch at the Heights Church in Prescott, Arizona, and my dear friend John Chalinar, who put together this teaching called Seven Foundations, wrote those seven words across the whiteboard, and I went, wow. I spent six years in Bible college and seminary, and it was wonderful, but I've never had anybody summarize it so well for me. And I I thought about those words, and I said, you know what, that's it. This is about God and creation and the fall and the cross and identity and choices and eternity. And the Bible is divided into two really main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And we have Nehemiah, a Hebrew and Israelite, and he finds himself in the fall in the fortress of Susa. You see, it's interesting. For years, the Hebrew people lived in the joyful relationship of a theocracy. They lived under the rule of the one true God. And as they settled into the promised land that he had provided for them, in fact, he provided it and promised it all the way back in Genesis 11 through 15. And, and Moses is dead and Joshua leads them into that promised land. And we remember those amazing uh, passages and stories of how they took that land and settled there, that land where the grapes of Eskel grew and where the milk and honey flowed. And, and all that they experienced as they settled there, they began looking around at the other nations around them. And you know what they noticed? That a lot of those nations were ruled by a king. And so God's people decided that it would be a good idea. I think really historically you look back on it, it was a really poor decision. But they decided they wanted to exchange their theocracy for a monarchy. And so the first king of Israel was anointed. His name, church, was... Great answer, Saul. That was a bit of a struggle right out of the gate. Saul's an interesting character, by the way, and an interesting study in mental health, or lack thereof at times. And Saul uh, had a reign for a season, and then uh, Saul's reign gave way to the sweet psalmist of Israel, an individual that we love and identify with so much because he provided for us, uh, writing under inspiration, the beautiful book of Psalms that we relate to so well, because this king came on, King David, and he had in his life some real highs, and he had in his life, what church, some real lows. He did, didn't he? David made some some really bad choices in his life. He made some really great choices in his life. And I think that's why we relate so well to the book of Psalms is because we see our own life lived out on the pages of the Psalms. So you have Saul and then you have David and then David passes away and his son takes over and he's the next king and his name is... And he was known as the wisest man who ever lived because God woke him up in the night and said, give me anything you want. Ask me for anything you want, Solomon, and I'll give it to you. If God were to ask you that at 2.35 this upcoming Monday morning, this next sleep that's ahead, you would be woken up and God would be speaking directly to you and he would say, give me any request that you have on your heart and I will answer it. What in the world would you say? How would you answer that? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And that was a fantastic answer. And God gave him great wisdom. And from that life and from that heart came the book of Proverbs that we enjoy and are blessed by so much. The wisdom book, the wisdom literature. And during Solomon's reign, these 12 tribes that had settled into this Genesis 11 through 15 promised land, when they crossed the Jordan and entered in, they had a civil war that occurred. Ten tribes went to the north, made their capital in Samaria. Two tribes went to the south, made their capital in Jerusalem. And everything changed. 
During the time that the 10 northern tribes were in and centered around Samaria, they had not one godly king. And because there was no or very little salt and light in the 10 northern kingdoms, they fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The two southern tribes lasted longer because there were godly kings in the south that turned the heart of the people back toward the one true God. Oh, how they had wandered and strayed. He had not moved, they moved. And yet there had been some good activity that had occurred. Nevertheless, the hearts of the people were stiff and stubborn against the one true God. And in 586 BC, the two southern tribes were humbled. We learned it back in 2018. They were humbled by a man named King who, church? Nebuchadnezzar, that's right. And the mighty Babylonians came in and conquered the two southern tribes. And in various phases, the exile occurred. And there are people that were once in Jerusalem and now they end up in Babylon. We know some famous ones like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know their story. We've read their memoirs of what that journey looked like for them. Powerful, breathtaking. Before long, the Assyrians are conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And then if you like military history, one of the most unique and amazing and powerful and creative military advances ever wrought when the Medes and Persians conquered the Babylonians. It's a fascinating read how that happened. Now the Medes and the Persians not only have conquered the Assyrians and therefore the ten northern tribes got them by virtue, sort of got them as an add-on, And now the Medes and the Persians have conquered the Babylonians. They not only got the Babylonians, but they get the two southern tribes as kind of an additional bonus. And here are all of God's people now up in the land of the Medes and the Persians. And just as Daniel of old, Nehemiah, has risen to prominence in the court of the king, and there he is, and there's his story, and here he is in the fall. And because the Medes and the Persians don't really have a particular interest in the Hebrews, the Israelites, they're letting them begin to go back to their promised land, back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem. Interestingly enough, they went all back to Jerusalem. And just as they went out in the conquering exiles and phases, they go back in phases. And if you're going to have a a baby in the new year, a baby boy in the new year, I've got a great name for you to consider. For the first group went back under the capable command of a gentleman named Zerubbabel. What a great name for a baby boy in 2019. Can you see him sharing that name in kindergarten? Can you see a kindergarten teacher trying to teach him how to spell Zerubbabel? But Zerubbabel led the first group back in 538 BC. Look, we're right almost at the end of the Old Testament. We're almost up to the 400 silent years. And then comes the birth of Christ. And everything changes for time and eternity. Zerubbabel leads the first group back in 538 BC. And Zerubbabel's main goal was to, let's see if you guys know it, was to rebuild the what? The temple. Zerubbabel's rebuilding the temple. The next group back goes under the cable command. Let me commend this book to you in the new year. Under the cable command of a man named Ezra. And Ezra led the group back in 458 BC. And that is a powerful book because Ezra shows us the first example, and I want you to know this, of why we have this platform in this church. For Ezra built the first platform to elevate the man of God, heavens know. He's nothing more than a humble messenger. 
but to elevate the word of God above the people. That God's word would be put in prominence and it would be shown forth to be the way, the truth, and the life. This wisdom book, this life book, this life manual that points us to the one, his name is Jesus and his cross who can change everything in your life from the inside out. And that's where we see the first platform being built so that the word of God can be elevated. It was initially just read before the people and Ezra's there to rebuild and pastor the people. Here's the third group that's going to go back and they're going to go back in 444 BC. Look, just before the 400 silent years and then we come right into who? Zechariah and Elizabeth and John and Joseph and Mary and Jesus, just who we just left. We say hello to those folks we just left right at the end of the 400 silent years. And here comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. The one who we met in all of these types and shadows of the Old Testament. The one who we saw in the divine object lesson that are the Old Testament sacrificial system. All pointing forward to this one who would come to take away the sins of the world. And just before that, Nehemiah shows up and he leads the people back and Zerubbabel's working on the temple, and Ezra's building up the people, and Nehemiah is going to reconstruct the what, church? The wall, that's right. And in 52 days, they are going to pull off the construction project of the ages. 52 days, they're going to reconstruct this wall around the city of Jerusalem. And this is Nehemiah's story. And here's how he gets there. You know, a lot can change in your life in a day. A lot can change in your life with a phone call. Everything can be perfect and normal at two on Monday afternoon, and by four, your life can be spinning in absolute chaos by the simply the ringing of a telephone. It's amazing how fragile life is. Maybe as a pastor, I, I live in that reality along with our first responders who we love and appreciate so much, our fire and our police and our paramedics. I think they, along with pastors and, and other people, at, at, at hospital staff, maybe live in some ways on the cutting edge of all of that because we just see how so quickly life can change with just that phone call, that moment, that minute, that conversation. And that's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. In late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. And I think sort of the idea here, you look at the language, and I'm just sort of, I'm sort of doing well. I mean, Nehemiah's in a great, he's living in the palace. He's eating the finest food. He's drinking the finest beverages. He's got air conditioning in the summer. He's got heat in the winter. He's got comfortable bedding to enjoy. He's got a great position of great authority in the most powerful kingdom of the moment. And then in verse 2, a conversation happens. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I just sometimes close my eyes and imagine what that must have been like when they came to the palace. And they initially visit with the palace guards and they say, well, we're... We're here to see Nehemiah. You know, we think of everything now as, well, let, let, me, let me phone up and tell him you're here. Well, they didn't do that. They obviously sent a, a, a messenger to Nehemiah's quarters, to wherever it was that he worked, and said, you've got guests. And Nehemiah goes to meet them. Maybe he invites them up into the palace, and they have a conversation. Look what they say. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Oh, they've been over to watch what's happening. They've been over and they've heard Ezra reading from the scroll. They saw Zerubbabel and that crew trying to, 
to get things going with getting the temple rebuilt. Remember, remember, uh, uh, the, the Babylonians ransacked it. Nebuchadnezzar took some of the wonderful treasures out of that temple and desecrated it in Babylon. All of this is going through their minds. They're trying to rebuild. They're trying to get life back to normal. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity. See, in those first two groups, Zerubbabel's group, Ezra's group, how are they doing? How are things going in Jerusalem? And they said to me, things are not going well. And I thought to myself, that's going to be exactly the situation for some of us in 2019. And oh my goodness, within the first three verses of a book, my friends, that is 2,400 years plus old, we are reading ancient literature today. Nehemiah shows us exactly what to do when things are not going well. How many of you have had times in your life, let me ask you this, you've had times in your life where honestly, I'm not saying it's perfect, but honestly you would say, if you were authentically answering an authentic question, you would honestly say, you know what, I've had times in my life, I can, I can think of times, maybe it was recently, maybe it was just this recent holidays where you'd say, Pastor Mike, honestly, if you were to ask me, I would say, things, things are going well. How many of you had times in your life where you would say, with honesty and with, with reasonableness, things are going well? You've had, you've had good days and seasons that have gone well, Absolutely. How many of you can remember times when things were not going so well? Let me see your hand. Absolutely. My hand's right up there with you. Seasons that were difficult in your marriage, in your finances, with adult children, with teenagers, with, with uh, toddlers, with infants, with, with those in your life who, who, who you had poured your life into and it seemed like they were on such a great track only to find out they had gone off that track. And honestly, you have to say, it's just not going well. You know what I think in this new year? I think in this new year, we're going to have some seasons where things are going really well. And I think we'll have some seasons where they're not going so well. I think that's a reality of, of just living life. And Nehemiah really prepares us here. Nehemiah really takes us into his heart here, and he shows us how to respond when things are not going well. He says, they said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the providence of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. Whole idea here of the original language is they're, they're in over their heads and they can't get it all pulled together. Have you ever felt in over your head and like you couldn't get it all pulled together? How many of you felt that way this morning just trying to get to church? No, you don't have to lift up your hand. Yeah. Exactly. I remember when we had young children. I don't know how we ever attended church when we had young children. It's like a miracle, right? Just to get everybody here and, and with some level of sanity. And, and you just feel at times so over your head and like you can't pull it all together. That's exactly where they were. This is so real. 2,400 years old, yet it reads just like today's news. Here we are. Look what Nehemiah does. He shows us three responses when things are not going well. Number one, here's the most important. He pressed into God. With this news that he has received, with these realities that he was dealing with, with the hurt, 
with the disappointment, with the heaviness, with the emotions that are racing and running, you know what he chose to do? He chose to press into God. For let me tell you as your pastor, when things are not going well, it is a time that the enemy will try to push you to press into things that are not good for your life. I say to our staff all the time, certain weeks, tough, stressful weeks, difficult weeks. You know what I always say to them? Listen, you need to be careful and you need to be aware the enemy is crouching at the door. Saying, look how hard it is. Look how many unanswered questions there are. Look at the stress you feel in your own heart. Look how your emotions are racing and running. Why don't you to press into something that is illegitimate to self-medicate a very legitimate hurt, problem, challenge, or difficulty? And people try to find answers when things aren't going well. And they try to soothe these legitimate hurts and problems and difficulties. In illegitimate ways, it's just an absolute trick of the enemy because it only makes our problems that much what, church? That much worse. And they try to find the answer at the bottom of a bottle. You know what? It's always at the bottom of a bottle. It's always empty. Or they try to find the answers at the bottom of a bowl. And if I just eat enough and comfort myself enough, then I'll feel better and we'll be able to get our our head back around us. And we try to eat our way to peace or drink our way to peace or shoot ourselves up or to intake things our way to peace. And at the end of those bottles and at the end of those bowls and at the end of those needles, there is always emptiness. After the first service, I had a lady come and talk to me. It took her a minute or two to gather her composure to actually speak the words. And she says, my loved one, Pastor Mike, is trying to game their way. For my loved one comes home, we do the ABCs and the one, two, threes, the very bare basics, and then for three to four hours, they disappear into this room, into a world of gaming. With three and four screens and gaming and games and phone games and... And um, this individual says, I, I, I have no doubt that my loved one is, is not having an affair with another individual, but it feels like they're having an affair with screens. And I think, Pastor Mike, this individual is trying to comfort themselves through the difficulties of life in this world of games. And I think that's a huge issue in our life, in our world today. When the pressure gets on, we all press into something. And most of what's out there that the world has to offer you is empty and often makes the problems that you have only worse. But I'm here to announce today that if you will press into Jesus... He says the enemy comes, John 10, 10, to kill, steal, and destroy... But I have come that you might have life and have life to the full. And if you feel empty, if you feel hopeless, if you feel helpless, if you have needs, and if you have hurts, I assure you of this as much as I know my own name, he has the answers for what is gripping and stressing and hurting your heart. And if in those moments when things are not going well, you will press into him, you will find the answers that you need for your soul. I love what Nehemiah teaches us. He pressed into Jesus. How did he do that, Pastor Mike? I want you to see how cool it is. He shows us the exact steps. How do I press? He shows us the five steps that he took. 
he says, first of all, I sat down. You know what that's a sign to me of? It really rocked him. I see this, watch. He heard the news. Wow, really? Man, he sat down. He sat down with Jesus. And he absorbed what was going on. Look at the next thing. I love this. He said, I wept. We're going to see Nehemiah is a man's man. Nehemiah is a leader of men. Nehemiah was in such a place of authority here and such a most powerful... It would be hard for us to get our brains around the authority that he had and the prominence of this day in this kingdom. Nehemiah is no wimp. Nehemiah is no um, soft shoe. Nehemiah is... Nehemiah's a a tough guy. He's a strong leader with lots of responsibility. And I love the fact that Nehemiah was not afraid to express emotion in moments of difficulty and discouragement. It's a good thing. That's a healthy thing to express that emotion. He sat down. He wept. In fact, for days, he says, look at at the third one. I, I mourned. Have you ever mourned something in your life? Mourned the loss of something? The passing of someone? A a dream that maybe you had had that uh, didn't come to be? A a reality that you have that you thought would be totally different than maybe you were expecting when it started? You know what I feel? I, I read these words, I thought, wow. This felt so hard heavy. And I'm going to show you in point two how it was hard heavy for, for a while. Can I tell you, as I sat with it, it kind of stressed me. It really did. He says, I sat, I wept, I mourned. Look at the fourth one. I fasted. Shows a level of seriousness. We're going to talk about that a little later in the month. We're going to invite you on a little journey with that a little later in the month. I fasted. I wanted to, to, to remove something from my life for a season to show God how serious I was about finding his answers to exactly what it was I was dealing with. And then finally, he says, I prayed. I sat, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, I prayed. And that's what pressing into Jesus looks like. I'm not going to self-medicate legitimate hurts, wounds, challenges, and difficulties in illegitimate ways, only making my problems worse. Instead, I'm going to press into the one who actually can help me with my problem, bring hope, bring help, bring answers, and show me the path forward when things are not going well. Point two. Point one, he pressed in. That's what we do when things aren't going well. By the way, that's what we do when things are going well. We press in and say, thank you, God, for all your blessings upon us. Thank you, God. In fact, you come through a difficult season, it makes the great seasons even that much sweeter. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how good you've been to me. We press in whether we're doing great or whether we're struggling, whether we're on those highs or one of those lows, whether it's all good or we're not doing well, we press in. I sat, I wept, I mourned, I fasted, I prayed. I want to show you two words that gripped me in my study this week. They gripped my heart. All of these words right around this verse four kind of stressed my heart. But these two words particularly gripped my heart. You know what those words are? Four, F-O-R, days. 
D-A-Y-S. And I went, man, I struggle with things when they go on and on for days. Hey, I'm prime. I want that book tomorrow, right? I've got to wait till Friday. Are you kidding me? Well, I'll just drive to Portland and get it. That's absolutely ridiculous. I am not waiting until Friday. You've got to be kidding me. I'm prime. I've paid prime money to get that. I want that in 24 hours. It'd be really great if you could find a way to get it here today. The car dealer said he'd get me in that car today. That couch, they said they could deliver it today by five. I bought it before 10, they could deliver it by five. We could get it today. That's our culture. Now, 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 quick, 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 go, go, go. Today, today, today. You know how stressed I was when I sat with Nehemiah and said, he wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. Watch this for, I would have felt so much better if it said for a day. I want the singular baby. For days, uh, plural, right? Here's what the Lord taught me. When things are not going well, you better press into Jesus because he's come that you might have life and have life to the full. Don't take a cheap imitation. It'll only make the problem worse. Here's what else God taught me. Answers and healing takes time. Answers and healing takes time. And we've got to sometime be willing to walk through difficult, choppy waters for days. Think about all the days, the weeks, and the months that have been going on. Zerubbabel's over there. He's working hard. Ezra's over there. They're working hard. They're working hard together. And still the verdict from Hannah and I and the friends were, things are not going well. We're struggling. We've made a big effort already, and we still can't get our stuff together. We're still feeling like that we're under the ball, not on top of the ball. Answers and healing takes time. Four days he did this. But if I can give you just a little preview of this book, and it's the final point that I want to share with you of how we respond when things aren't going well. Pastor Mike, what do I do? I want to encourage you to press into Jesus. I want to remind you that answers and healing takes time. And I want to inspire you with this thought that our Jesus is a master of turning messes into messages. And that's really what the book of Nehemiah is all about. Because I promise you, as we go a little bit deeper and and more thoroughly into this book, we're going to find that there's other challenges and there's other problems. You know what? It's just like your life. We've talked together before how, how when you have those moments where the bills are paid and the cars are purring, and there's nothing leaking or, or sizzling or dripping or running in the house. And the kids are like, the principal or teachers aren't calling. And it's like, it's like, like those moments like where things seem to be like, yes and amen. Literally, I grab a hold of those moments. I always sit down and I just go. And I just want to pause them. Can I just push the pause button? I would have loved for God to have given me a pause button on my kids. I, I, you know, I would have signed. I would have signed. You could only use it for like one hour a day because there would be a temptation to put them on pause and just leave it. Uh, but that's not right. They got to grow. They've got to grow. I know I'd be tempted. Wow, you got to take them off pause sometime. Yeah, only I do. I would. I would have signed it. One, you could pause them one hour a day. But you have those moments where everything is just so good 
and you want to pause it. Because you know what? We've lived long enough to know. Don't, we just know, don't we? We just know that we're just moments away from, what was that noise? What, what, the phone's ringing. The principal. principal called me the other day before the break. I answered. I said, I know who this is in regards to. And I said the name. He said, oh, how did you know? I said, hey, I've been at this a while, friend. <laughs> so funny. Right? Everybody's growing and learning. That's life. And it's not if you're going to have challenges, it's when. And they're going to come your way. And there's going to be moments in this new year where you're going to say with you as an individual, as you with your spouse, with your family, things are not going well. What do we do? We press into Jesus. Nehemiah shows us how. We remind ourselves that answers and healing takes time. And we can never forget this hope-filled message that God is the master of turning our messes into messages. Next week, I cannot tell you how excited I am to share with you this prayer. And this prayer that Nehemiah prays that's recorded for us is one of my top favorites in all of the scriptures. And we're going to break it down and go literally word by word together next week. I'm going to just whet your appetite. He says, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me. Here it is, church. Praying night and day for your people, Israel. Oh, this prayer is a power-packed prayer. There's so much theology in those first ten. It just blows me away. Oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. If you do not have one thing to leave this church happy about today, I'm going to give you one. You'll go out riding on a cloud if you know Jesus in the pardon and forgiveness of sin. Let me tell you why. Because you're in a covenant of unfailing love. That is so awesome. Nehemiah calls out onto that and says, we're not doing well. And God, we need your help. And we're going to see next week in full that prayer and all that he has to teach us for the great moments and the challenging moments in a wonderful new year that is ahead. All the moments, if I can go back to the very first verse, that make up the memoirs of our life. Nehemiah says, come, go with me on this journey. I have much to teach you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this 2,400-year ancient truth. And how it speaks directly into our situation. For those who are here who are having great days, God, we praise you and we thank you. For those who are here who are having difficult days, God, may today they find answers from your word that will help, that will bring hope. And ultimately, we know, Lord Jesus, that answer is found in you and your word. And for this, we're thankful that you tell us that when we search for you, when we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. Thank you for that, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.